Well, if you haven't got the price started, fire it up right now. Get those coals going. That's right. It's time for your favorite African football podcast on the whistle. I'm your host, Zane Nabi, and today I'm flanked by the one man wall from Manning Rangers, Courtney Fries. And on the other side, I have our North African football experts, the King of Cairo, Ahmed Yusuf. Gentlemen, what is going in your parts of the world? Well, happy to be here again, Zanes. Thank you so much for that introduction. It is so hot here in Grays, England. I am not managing. In 39 degrees, it's worse than Durban. I cannot take it. <laughs> love it, love it. And how is our King of Cairo doing? Uh, it's, it's all good. I'm a uh, pleasure to be flanked by, uh, by Courtney. So uh, looking forward to today's show. Again, I'm, I'm in, um, in the south of England today, and it's uh, very, very hot. And it feels like I'm in, uh, I'm in Cairo, but, uh, but not, yeah. Well, well, I tell you what, if this was a braai, and if we had the coals going, it's about to get even hotter. I tell you why. We are in the presence of a true African legend, the one and only Bruce Krobelar. On the international stage, he played and he re- represented the Zimbabwean Warriors. He won 13 major trophies at Liverpool, including the European Cup, six league titles, and a host of domestic cups. But before he lifted any one of those trophies, Bruce made a name for himself in Zimbabwe. He was famously signed by Highlanders FC for a goat, a cow, and a sheep. All we can do on our podcast, Bruce, is give you a Nando's chicken meal. That's what we can give you. (laughs) Welcome to the show. How are you, sir? Uh, it's great to be on your show, you guys. Uh, you know, flanked by a little Durbanite there in uh, Courtney and, <laughs> and Northern African there in Ahmed and yourself, Zane. Fantastic to be on the show. Absolutely. And, and we're, we're so great to have you. Where in the world are you right now, Bruce? I'm actually currently in a little place called Sotra, just on the west side of Bergen. And if you want to know what the weather is like, it's uh, 24 degrees, no clouds in the sky. I don't know where that came from, but because yesterday it was absolutely tipping down. So yeah, in Norway, you get four seasons in one day. They say that this weather is going to stay here for another week. And I hope so too, because we've got a, a game tomorrow night and I'd like the sun to shine in the opposition's goalkeeper's eyes. Well, I tell you what, we're going to talk about your work in Norway and your involvement still in coaching. And uh, it's great to know that you're still in the game. And my wife's forefathers are from Norway. So the only thing I know is about Vikings and cold weather. So maybe you're going to make me plan a holiday out that way. Well, if you have never been to Norway, you should get here because it's a beautiful country. Brilliant. Well, Bruce, I think we're going to start off with delving into a little bit of your backstory. And... Um, I know you've played under many legendary Liverpool managers, right? There was Bob Paisley, there was Joe Fagan, there was Kenny Dalglish. But I was wondering if you could tell us a little about Silas and Lovu. He managed <laughs> to secure your services at Highlanders FC with the fine selection of farm animals I've mentioned. What are your memories of playing football in Zimbabwe? Listen, I started at 14 years and 10 months uh, signing for Salisbury Callies. Now, signing for Salisbury Kelly's, uh, I was playing for Relton at the time, and they were in a different league to Salisbury Kelly's. 
Dave Russell, one of the coaches for the juniors, saw me kicking around at David Livingston School, came across the uh, park, asked if I'd like to sign for Salisbury Callies. I said, I don't think so because my mother won't like it. So he said, well, I'll speak to her. We walked to my place. He said that he would pay my subs to go and play for Salisbury Callies. And the next thing I was riding my bike three and a half uh, miles to go to uh, Salisbury Callies. That weekend or two weeks uh, after I signed as to play in the juniors, I signed as uh, for the first team. Now I needed to sign the uh, semi-professional contract because I was still at school. I did that. I got $10 for my signing on fee. And when you played in the first team, well, the juniors got $1 for a draw and $2 for a win. And I played three games for the first team. And then I left and we went to, uh, my mother went to Bulawayo, which is 500 kilometers away. Now on the way, on the way there, of course, Salisbury Kelly's wanted to retain my services, so they phoned all the clubs in, in Bulawayo. And there were three clubs at the time. I get a phone call from Silas and Lovu when I got there. He said, please, I'd like you to meet me down the industrial estate. And I said to my mother, where's the industrial estate? She says, you don't want to go there at night. Go on, tell us about that. He said, well, meet me there at about 4.30, five, you know, five, five o'clock. And you know what five o'clock is? 4.30, the shifts close, everybody comes out of work, and there's a stream of, you know, people coming past, and there's this little white fella, you know, standing there, and all, all, the, all the people going back to the township coming past me, and he's sitting on his vehicle. And he said, listen, how much money do you want to pay, play for my team? So I thought about it for a quick, yeah. I said, well... <laughs> In my head, I only got $10 from Salisbury Callies. So I said, well, how about $50? And that, he started laughing. I said, why are you laughing? He says, I thought you were going to ask for 500 So, so, I, so, so I, could you change that? I just went, uh, well, give me 450 and call it quits. <laughs> <laughs> and Good bargaining. That, and with that, he went to the boot. He came out with a brown paper bag put his hand in it, took $50 out, put that in his top pocket. And yes, I got $450 standing on the, uh, at the indust industrialist site, site and signed the papers. And then he said, uh, you've got a cow, a goat, and a sheep. How do you want them? I said, I don't know. What, what, what do you mean I've got a cow, a goat, and a sheep? He said, you can have them live or you can have them butchered. So I went across the road and uh, my mother was there and I said, listen, we've got a cow, a goat and a sheep. What do you want? She said, uh, we'll take the cow and the sheep to the, the, the slaughterhouse, to the cold storage commission, and we'll keep the goat as live. Well, the goat only lasted two days because after the second day, the goat had eaten all my mother's roses. So she said, get it to the slaughterhouse as well. <laughs> So you must have been prying a lot. Oh, we were prying for about two, three months, man. We had the freezer stocked up. Now, now I know, Bruce, you, you have obviously fantastic tales at Liverpool and um, with Zimbabwe, but what do you remember playing for Highlanders? Silas and Lovo said, listen, don't, you're, you, we're playing at home this weekend. 
don't go to the stadium, come to my house in, in Limpopoma. So I get there to this little house in Limpopoma, and I walk through the, there's a big fence and a gate, I walk through with my bike, and I look over left, and there's a tree, and there's three or four of my teammates standing around the tree with no clothes on. So what? <laughs> Explain that to me. <laughs> So I get to the door, put my bike down, and Silas and Lovo says, here's your chair. Take all your clothes. That's the room that you're in. Take all your clothes off and get by the tree. So I had to walk out butt naked to the tree. And then when every, all the team was ready, we stood around the tree, and then the witch doctor came and put all the little mooty on our backs and our head and everything. And then we went, got changed, went to the field, and we played. Wait, and this is something that people who are not familiar with African football is the Muti, the medicine man, the shaman. Was that something that was just, a, you, you became accustomed to in, in, in football on the continent? Well, when you, when you start as a young boy and, uh, and Salisbury Kelly's now starting with Salisbury Kelly's, we went to the teams like Mangura mine, where they had two donkeys on the pitch and to get them off, they wouldn't get the donkeys off. So when you went on and, and tried to pass the ball around, the donkeys get in the way, you know. And we ended up losing there 8-1, the first team. <laughs> and so, someone told the guys, listen, when you get there, the next time you go to Mangura, or you, if you're going to go to Wangi, they'll do exactly the same, or Rio Tinto, they'll do exactly the same. If you've got a goat or a donkey on the pitch, Make sure that you take that donkey off the pitch and put it on the outside of the fence and then get two of your guys to go and stand on each post and pee on the posts. What well, does that do? <laughs> well, to take away their medicine. So that's what we did. And then we end up winning. So, you, And you kind of think about it and, you, and if it happens all this time, you, you get used to it. Now, coming to to uh, the African side in Matabeleland Highlanders, geez, we had this witch doctor coming with us all over the place. On the bus, we go to Guero, we play in Guero, Ascot Stadium, and we win because the, you know, the, the witch doctor's done something. I don't know. But I know for a fact that two of our guys at the back of the, at the bus were smoking Zol, and then they, they're the best player in the park. That was Zenzo Lovu and, and, and Kumalo. Deepers, you know, what do you... So, so for, for our African and international audience who might not know, um, Zol is a colloquialism for marijuana. So, so, I mean, this is quite a culture that you're growing up in. You've got the traditional healers, the witch doctor, and you've got players who are openly um, utilizing the green stuff. I mean, wow. Yes, for sure. And this is purely anecdotal, Bruce, but when those players used marijuana, did they become better players? What, what did you observe? Okay, Zenzo Lobo was a center half. He was about five foot ten. But if he had to jump against a six foot ten guy, he would win in the air. He just, it just made him fly through the air. And when he took off, you know, for that ball, heading the ball, he'd win it every single time. And Bruce, since you've brought this up, I was going to bring this up much later in our chat, but we've got a question from Lindsay in Cape Town pertaining to the subject. 
morning. This is Lindsay from Kelsgrove, Cape Town, um, a diode scouser since the 80s when Bruce Frobler was our goalkeeper of the, for many years. Just wanted to pose an interesting question. Bruce, you claim that uh, you, you urinated at the goalpost on the cock end of the stadium. Is that the truth or is that myth? Please inform us and clarify that. Thank you. So, Bruce, uh, that was Lindsay from Cape Town, the most original Scouser accent you'll ever hear. Um, but um, tell us about, would you, would you like to ask that question? Well, I haven't uh, just urinated on the post once. I did it one and a half times. That means that I didn't do two the two goals twice. I did one goal once and then both goals the second time around. Now, if you want to go back in the story, in 1992, I had a testimonial for Liverpool. I was sponsored by our lager in Zimbabwe called the Zambezi Lager. So for the whole year, they gave me crate loads of beer that, that when I had dinners, I could put these on the table and everybody would drink up and be merry. And my testimonial was at Anfield and they sent the witch doctor because they've got a witch doctor with the Zambezi Lager. And I didn't know if, if he was a real one or whatever, but before the game, he went and he got all his uh, mushonga, his muti, and he went and splashed it on the posts, cop in first, and then he went down the Anfield Road end, and then he got the mic and he said to the fans, there were 32, 33,000 people, if you don't have Bruce Grobler, the jungle man here at Anfield, you won't win the league again. And that was in 1992. Do you tell me if uh, the thing doesn't work? Because when Stevie G slipped, remember when he slipped and we came second? To yes, I remember it very well. Courtney, because he's a Liverpool fan, will remember it even better than me. So, Courtney, before that game, I had this inkling that and this itchy feeling that because I've been away in Canada and I've come back and I thought, what is it? What 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 if this witch doctor is is right, and we haven't won this thing? And then I remembered, what do you do if your witch doctor actually does anything on the posts? You get your guys to go and pee on the posts, and because it was my testimonial, I knew that I had to go and pee on the posts. So after one evening game i stayed quite late in the corporate boxes and i went down the stairs when the floodlights just you know dimmed a bit and i went out onto the pitch and i went round to the side and i started to pee on the posts in the uh, in the cop end and this the steward grabbed me and he says what the what what are you doing i said listen i've just got to go down to the anfield road and you know pee on those ones he says no and he chucked me out well we came second then Okay, then I went back out to Canada. I went there and coached there for another year or another two years. I'm thinking about this all the time, and we still haven't won it. Then last season, we come second. I'm thinking, what is it? So end of last season, I've got a friend of mine who owns a hotel called Hotel Tier. 21 Anfield Road. He's a Norwegian and he and I told him about this story when we were 
having a quiet drink one day. And I'd just come back off a trip and I got there on the lot because the last game of the season uh, was against uh, uh, one of the teams. And I got back after celebrating the end of the season because I thought we were going to win the last game and we didn't. We came second again. So I was a bit annoyed. The Monday, I get back about 12 o'clock at one o'clock. There's a game for Hotel TRO in a corporate game at Anfield. So I said, listen, am I late? He says, no, you better get here quick. So I went from the airport straight to Hotel TRO, got changed, went to the Anfield, and you could sit in the dressing room, everything. And then my mate said, well, you've got to do the business now. I said, yes, I'll try and play well. He said, no, you're going to have to finish what you started. And that clicked. So I went into the toilet with a water bottle, poured the water out, peed in the bottle, put the top on, and when we went out onto the pitch, on the cop end, I poured the water, the pee down the post and down the post, and then splashed it over the top on the crossbar, put the top on, put it in the middle of the goal, we, we played the first half. Now they scored, we scored, so it was 1-1 at half time. We switch over to the other side, and I did exactly the same, right? We still level, 1-1, finish the game, penalties. Penalties, one penalty each, sudden death. So we scored. I've done my business with the post on that side and splashed it. I end up saving the penalty that side. We win the corporate cup. And from that day until now, Liverpool first team have not lost a league game at Anfield. So you tell me if it's not right or wrong. Wow. Wow, wow. I'm sorry. Oh, man, that's a three years unbeaten run. Sorry, just so that you can hear. <laughs> that is a three years unbeaten run. Okay, but we still came second. Yeah. We're going to transition into talking about Liverpool now and we'll get Courtney as our resident scouser to run you through that. But before that, I have a question from a Liverpool fan, uh, Neil in Cape Town. Hi, Bruce. Neil here from the Liverpool Supporters Club in Cape Town. Um, just hoping you could tell us about what it was like moving um, from Durban City um, out to Liverpool when you first signed. Um, tell us about that, please. Well, the question is a very valid one. I never moved from Durban to uh, Liverpool. It took me a long, long time to get to Liverpool. When I moved from Durban City, I went to West Bromwich Albion first. I was on trial there and uh, for five months. And for the five months being on trial at uh, West Bromwich Albion, and I'll tell you what, what a team that was. The, the greats that they had playing for that West Bromwich Albion team were incredible. But I couldn't get a work permit. I was on a South African passport, couldn't get a work permit. So I ended up, go, ended up going to Vancouver because they needed a goalkeeper. And Tony Waiters was out in uh, England at the time. And uh, I was going to be coming back to South Africa. I was fed up because I couldn't get a work permit in England. And Colin Addison said to me, listen, Bruce, I know you're going back to Africa, but please 
do yourself a favor, beg, borrow, steal a vehicle, get yourself to Derby County today. And this was in the morning because Tony Waiters wants to see you there. He wants to have a little session with you and see if you're, if, if you're what he, he wants. So I did. I, I did the latter. I stole a vehicle and I went up to Derby County, came back. And yes, that's where I, when I went to Vancouver. So it took me by the time from the time I came to England, two and a half years to get to Liverpool. Because I was signed by Vancouver. Vancouver, I played three games in the first year that I was there for the first team. The second, I was sent on loan to Crew Alexander, and it was at Crew Alexander that Liverpool actually saw my potential there. I went back to Vancouver. Liverpool came to Vancouver to uh, ask me a question if I'd like to sign uh, play for Liverpool. I said yes, and then six weeks later, I was sold to Liverpool in uh, March 1981 to Liverpool. So it took me two and a half years to actually get to where uh, this gentleman wanted to know. How, how was it, this transition? It, it was a transition from African football to uh, running around in, in the UK with the, with the West Bromwich Albion and brilliant players that they had there at the time. Disappointment, not being allowed to get a work permit, going over to Vancouver, which was an incredible place to live. And, you know, a young, young lad at 19 getting to Vancouver, Ooh, you, you didn't want to come back because of the beauty of the place and, you know, just fantastic. And going around North America, playing in the different states was, was magnificent. So it, it was a learning curve into transition coming into the UK. Then playing in the fourth division where you get people that come and batter you at the far post and punch and kick and you know, they just want to foul you or hurt you because uh, you're a better player than them. That was a learning curve. And then finally getting into Liverpool and thinking that you can do it all the time. No, you can't. You have to learn again. And the learning curve was in the, in the reserves at Liverpool. So it took me a long, long time to get there. Finally, I got there, the place that I wanted to uh, be. And, you know, I... Yeah, the, the rest, is, as they say, is history. Uh, Bruce, just wanting to come in and talk about your time when you got into Liverpool. You get to Liverpool, uh, you go into the reserves, you've got Ray Clements in front of you at the moment before you moved to Spurs. Um, can you just talk about that period before you took the number one jersey? What was it like? What did you have to learn? When I got, when I got to Liverpool, uh, Liverpool had uh, another goalkeeper in... Steve Grizovich. Now, Steve, big Steve Grizovich was a, a, a brilliant chap, a very good cricketer. And when I signed, the boss, Bob Paisley, said, listen, we've got six games left. Bruce, you're going to be playing three games, and Augie, you're going to be playing three. Steve Grizovich, you're going to be playing three. So, Bruce, you're going to be playing the away games. Steve, you can play the home games, which Steve didn't mind because he didn't like traveling anyway. So those were the three games. So six games later, end of the season, we, we get asked, listen, who, who wants to come to the European Cup, Cup final? Which I was supposed to sit on the bench 
I said to Bob Paisley, listen, why are you picking me? I've only had three games. You've got Stevie Grizovich, who's been here six years and they played eight games for the first team. You let him have the, the bench. And he and Bob Paisley turns around, well, if you don't want it, you go and tell him. So I had to go and tell Augie that he's sitting on the bench. And Augie didn't believe me. Then he had to go to the to the boss. And when he went down to the boss, he went, yes, what do you want? Well, Bruce Grubble has just told me that I'm on the bench. He said, yes, you can thank him for that. Now get out. <laughs> and that's how harsh uh, Bob Paisley was. So end of the season, I'm on holiday. I find out that Ray Clemens has gone to Tottenham. And my lawyer friend in Vancouver said, and my agent, he said, well, you've got a chance now. I, what, uh, what do you mean? I said, he said, you've got a chance here with the first team. It's only you and Og Agrizovic now. So the next season, I'd played all the preseason games. And I started off with the loss at, uh, West, uh, at Wolverhampton Wanderers. We lost 1-0. Came back, then we beat uh, uh, Arsenal 3-0. And then we carried on. And it was a topsy-turvy time. I was having a good games and then bad games. And then I was messing about, walking on my hands during the game and swinging on the crossbar and all that. And six months, well, about two months later, Steve Grizovich wasn't very happy and he asked to see the, the boss. So he said to our captain, Phil Thompson, Tom, I'm going to go and see the boss. And Phil Thompson said, why? He says, because I should be playing in the first team. So Phil Thompson looks at him and he says, well, you carry on then. So he goes down to the office and he walks down the corridor from the dressing room. And when he, when he gets down to the bottom, he knocks on the door. And all you hear whenever you knock on the boss's door is it, yeah, open the door, come in, sit down. And then he'll say, what do you want? But 16 pairs of feet are running down the the corridor when the door closes to listen to see, you know, listen to what, what's been said. They said, what do you want? So Augie says, I should be playing every single game. I should be in the first team. I've been here six years. I've played eight games and I, I should be playing every single game starting from this weekend, boss. And the boss turned around and he said, yeah, you can play every single weekend, but not from this weekend. From next weekend. Because next week I've swapped you for a goalkeeper from Shrewsbury Town. Now get your gear and bugger off. <laughs> and that was it. Wow. I'm in the first team. Brutal. Brutal? Absolutely. You want to you want to ask some of the players there at Liverpool, do they like Bob Paisley as a man? Ooh, many of them would say no. But for me, he was one of the greatest managers I've ever played uh, for in my life. You don't win 19 trophies in nine years if you're not a good manager. I think it was his uh, man-managing man skills or, or the lack of, because nobody could understand what he said. Nobody could understand what he said. My first, uh, my first match, he's got the board and he's got all the pieces ready here and he, and he turns around and he says, Phil Neal. They've got a winger. He's not fast, but he's nippy. 
and then he flings the far-flung ones. Now, if you think you're sitting down and you hear this, you don't understand it. And then the player, Phil Neal, goes to Joe Fagan, who's sitting there with having a cigarette, and he says, Joe, what did the boss just say? And he goes, just get out and play. And that was it. Just go and get out and play. So you, you couldn't understand which is tactics, but yes, what what how I grade him as a manager, he would actually pick out if you've got an injury, if you're feigning an injury, the opposition's got a sore foot or a sore leg. He would pick out and he would tell you to go at that person. And nine times out of ten, we did, we get past him and we score. Thank you for that, Bruce. Uh, just looking at your team that you played in, and there are stellar players within the squad that you played in, absolute uh, juggernauts of a player. Uh, what similarities do you see with your side you played in and the current Jurgen Klopp team that is performing at such a high level these days? Well, I played with Phil Neal on the right side, the highest decorated uh, player in Liverpool history and the second highest decorated player in the history of the the first uh, first division premier league there's only one player that's won more and that's Ryan Giggs then i played with uh, Phil Thompson and Alan Hansen in the middle and then on the left back was Alan Kennedy so those were stalwarts in in England and uh, and Scotland and then in the midfield we had uh, Graham Souness in the middle the finest player that i've ever played with in my life uh, either side of him had Terry McDermott and Ray Kennedy. And in those days, those were brilliant players. And to come in, you know, behind him was Sammy Lee, all, all of them English internationals. And then up front, if you have a look who, who they played up front, we had on the right wing, Craig Johnson. Up front, Rush or David Johnson at the time. Rush or David Johnson, and then Kenny Dalglish, another fine, fine player. Compared those to this current side, if I would want to put some people into the side, yes, I'd probably take out Phil Thompson and put Virgil van Dijk and play along Alan Hansen. Left fullback, I'd put Robinson instead of Alan Hansen, just because I can. Uh, Right-hand side, I would... I would hazard a guess, Trent Alexander-Arnold or Phil Neal, I'll probably go with, with Phil Neal. In the midfield, if you have a look at the midfield, I wouldn't take Sunes out of there. I would put him right there and leave him there. Either side, you could put a player like a Henderson, but I would still keep the likes of uh, uh, Terry McDermott, because he would get into the box, you know, on those later runs. And then up front, who's going to take out Kenny Dalglish out of those front three that we've got now? Mane, Salah, or Firmino? If Firmino does donkey work for the boys up front. So I would say maybe Craig Johnson come out, rush and Dalglish with one of the others, I would pick Salah out of the three of them. And that's just my choice. But 
you could play with any of those three up front because they're the best three in the land today. And because of modern football, the other two would be would be very, very tired because they probably 60 and 66 now. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fair enough. I think um one one thing that I mean I I grew up in '95, so I, I, the first time I saw somebody doing spaghetti legs was uh, Jersey Dudek in the Champions League final in 2004. But yeah. I found out that it was actually Carragher, Jim Carragher, told him to copy what you'd done in 1983. So you were the original person who started it. What, what was the reasoning behind that? This, those spaghetti legs in the uh, in the um, European Cup final. My one or his one? Your one, because he copied you. So well, he didn't really copy me. I'll tell you the whole story. You see, the thing is, when we we get there to the final in 1984, and we draw one one, and then you're coming to the huddle, and Joe Fagan is standing there, and he's saying, "Listen, uh, we we go through everybody that's going to be taking the penalties in the order, and then." The referee says Liverpool in the Roma end. And then the first person that was supposed to take the penalty was Phil Neal. He's got one boot off and the other one is tying nicely. So he, he's not ready. So Stevie Nichol gets the ball and goes into the box. Now, Stevie Nichol is not the person that you want to go up first. Why? Because let's put it this way. They're, they're, he's, he's got a few marbles short upstairs. In saying that, he has got the biggest feet, size 13 feet. But he tries to squeeze them into size 11 boots. Now, anybody who does that has got a screw loose. Now, he's there, and he misses the penalty. So we started off on a bad note. I just about, I'm just going to the goal, walking slowly from where we are. I didn't have to look up to see the arm around me because I could smell the cigarette. It's the manager. And all he said was, listen, son, myself and the coaches, the chairman and the directors, captain and the team, the wives and the girlfriends, and also those 20,000 fans that have come from Liverpool. I'm not going to blame you. Oh, geez, I heard the blame word. If you can't stop a ball from 12 yards. And that's what happened. But as I walked away, he said, but try and put them off. I didn't put off anybody on the first penalty. I should have stayed where I was because I moved right, flipped my fingers and went in. Phil Neal sticks the, he's finishing tying his bootlaces, puts the ball in. The next penalty, Bruno Conti picks up the ball and he dances like this little jingy junkie coming to the spot like that. But what I did is I got onto the into the goal and I stood on with my hands on my knees and I went like this. With my knees and going back and forth. Like the 60s dance. Remember that? He blasted the ball over the top of the goal. And I thought, oh yeah, it might work. Soon as put the ball in the back of that, two one to us. I couldn't get into the goal quick enough for the next one because Rigoletti was taking it. And two days prior to that, I was watching him in the, in the stadium take penalty after penalty in the top corner, same corner. I take off after he's kicked the ball top right. Where did it go? It went top left. Mm. 
And then I realized when I got off the floor, I looked at the stadium and I remembered that I was watching him from the other side of the stadium two days ago. Oh, no. Yeah. Rashi scores and then Graziani picks up the ball and starts walking with him with his arm around the referee. That is when I ran in the net, bit the net, and I said, hey, can't touch the referee, ungentlemanly conduct, la, la, la. and that's when I came into the goal and did the spaghetti leg. Because I'd eaten the net and I thought, geez, I'm in Rome and this looks like spaghetti. So I did, you know, the collapse of the knees, spaghetti legs, and then he missed. And that's what inspired me. Now, in 1995, Jersey Dudek, at the end of the game, was jumped upon by a carrier who told uh, Jersey Dudek, Jersey, do a Brucey, do a Brucey. And Jersey Dudek looked him in the eye and said, who's Brucey? <laughs> but he said, do a grobola, a grobola. And that's when he clicked. But he, what he did was like a starfish in a goldfish bowl, in an aerobics class. Because he went like this, uh, like this, and then he saved the penalty. I never yeah. had to save any penalties. He saved two. Yeah. For, yeah. Me, for me, I think Jersey Dudex was better than mine. Well, you know what? You at least inspired the thought of it. So I think you can you can claim two European championships with that with that uh, that move. So. No, no, no. I, 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 I'll take mine and let Jersey take his because I tell you what, they were two fine, fine comebacks. Well, my ours wasn't a comeback; his was, and it was inspired by their captain and Stevie G. Yeah, it was a great, great final. Well, you still look back on and surprised at how they managed to do it so, uh, so amazingly. And I think you kind of proceed on to one of my. my it'll go down. Sorry. It'll go down in history as one of the finest ever comebacks ever in yeah, football. Agreed, agreed. I mean, if it, it, it anything you know anything's better than uh, the last year's Champions League final, how how dull that was. So I guess um, it's a, it was a great great final. That's coming from a Spurs fan, obviously. So I'm, I wasn't pleased with last year. <laughs> um, but what, what I was unlucky. I know, still still bitter, but. Um, one of the questions I had to you was about how goalkeeping has just evolved completely now from your days and, and to now. How do you see that, you know, where players like goalkeepers like Edison and Allison are actually one of the best passers on the pitch now? And I've seen Edison can just 70-yard pings down the line and, and to perfection. Um, kind of do you, how do you think, you know, your, your, your footwork would have fared in, if you were to play now? How, did, how would my footwork be? Yeah. Just as good as theirs. Really? <laughs> well, listen, there's a Liverpool football club. This is not the first time that we've had a sweeper-keeper. Yeah. Liverpool football club always had a sweeper-keeper from uh, the likes of uh, the Flying Pig and in, in Tommy Lawrence before Ray Clements. He started it because he was getting, he was giving away too many fouls and giving away too many penalties when they were one-on-one. -on -one. And... Shankly turned around to um, Tommy Lawrence and said, Tommy, son, you're giving away too many penalties. Play a higher line, and when you give away a foul outside the box, at least you'll have a wall in the way. 
So that's how he started to play the high line and tackle outside of his area. Ray Clements perfected it a little bit better, and he was very good at coming off his line and clearing it. And I was exactly the same. I used to come out because I'd rather finish the play there away from my goal than rather than wait for it to come to me. Today, they just want to pass around and they want to pass all the balls around. In my day, we did the same, but at a lower scale. And for the TV, if you go back on Google, you probably find that we played very, very similar to these guys today. Interesting, yeah. So, so another, another one question I had to ask was about how you played a, played a kind of a, a lot of great players. Who was the, the player, you know, that striker or the winger that you thought was the toughest that you faced against? There were different teams that they had tough uh, strikers to play against. At domestically, there were, when I first started, Frank Stapleton, when he uh, went from Arsenal to, uh, to United. Uh, then at United, we had um, Brian McClare and Mark Hughes. Everton, we had Sharp and then Duncan Ferguson. And then uh, Wimbledon, you had the, the hard boys of uh, John Fashionu and uh, the likes of Vinnie Jones saying to me in the tunnel, I'll see you at the far post. And you knew what that was going to be. Anything high in the air, they're going to come and batter you. So mm. we knew we had the, uh, the strength of those. But yeah, the, the internationally, if you wanted to know the person that I hated playing against was a real Madrid uh, striker who Sanchez, mm. the Mexican. Yeah. Every time we played against him, he scored a couple of goals. Yeah. yeah. Bruce, thank you. You've been so generous with your time. If you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to indulge you with a few more questions before we wrap up, if that's okay. Um, and I know right now you're working um, as a consultant in Norway, but what are your coaching ambitions right now? What, what, what would you ideally like to be doing? What I'd like to do is uh, get back into, uh, you know, coaching on, on the sidelines again, whether it is in, uh, in well, Africa for sure. Um, I'd love a lovely, uh, I'd love a last dance with the Warriors, but the powers to be in uh, Zimbabwe are, are, you know, hesitant and I don't know why. Um, South Africa, South Africa, I'd love to come back and, and have a nice uh, cameo uh, lateness in South Africa, but I know why they don't want me there because I'm too honest. And if there's anything that goes wrong, I'll take them straight to the courtroom because it's happened before and they know who they are and they know my potential as a coach. If you ever look at the, uh, my history of coaching in South Africa, no team has ever gone down. And I'm talking about places in the league. They've always gone up. And that's, that is what I strive to, to make people play better and to enjoy themselves on the park, which I did all the time. This is something that South Africans don't know. I was asked to take over at Mamelodi Sundowns with the Tickless, as I with the Tickless uh, family. 
and I signed a pre-contract uh, agreement and found out, well, after I had sent it back that I would want to take over the, as the manager. And after they found uh, after that, I, signed, I sent it back, signed it, sent it back. I asked my lawyer friend, why, should, why did I have to sign it now? I could have waited until Monday. He said, no, it's better that you do it now because they've already given the uh, job to Clemens Westerhoff. And so it was a breaking the agreement that I had with them. I took them to court and I got paid three, three years of a, a three-year contract without coaching the team once. So that's another thing why South Africans and the South African authorities don't want me in, in around South Africa. Because if you, if you have an agreement with someone, you uphold it, otherwise I'll take you to court, which I did, and I got paid out three years a contract. Then I went to Supersport. Supersport, I got a little, uh, I got ahead of myself there, took them from 15th to 8th. Then the next year, eighth to third, and then there was a little problem with uh, Supersport. I found out that my assistant, Pizzo Masamani, was got a big knife in my back, tried to get me out uh, by saying that I was drinking. They failed. They told a lie. I took them to court, got paid out my rest of my contract at uh, Supersport, and that is con contrary to uh, what rumors are in South Africa that I was fired. I was never fired at uh, Supersport. They paid me out to go. Then it was the cameo of Hellenic. Saved Hellenic from relegation. Then they, then they closed the team. I went to Manning Rangers. The Ready family took them from I think it was 17th to 12th. Then I, I, I walked away. They disbanded. And then my last cameo was at uh, Mtata Bushbucks. And I was there for about 12 weeks. Took them to a higher thing and then left. Bruce, after all of that, you would still want to go back and coach in South Africa? Yes. It's not about the management and the teams. It's about the players. And if you can make the players better, that's what I'm about. It's not about, I'll argue with the, with the, uh, the, the managers, the owners all day long. But when they do not allow the players to get the best for them, then they're going to have me to go through. And that is what I'm about. I want to make the best for the players, not about me, it's for the players. And I know that the uh, Amazulu haven't got a coach at the moment. So there we go. Have, have, uh, have, have you been in touch with Usutu? Ooh, what do you mean Usutu? Amazulu. Amazulu, cheapest. Amazulu haven't got a coach. I know that. But have you perhaps got your representatives to speak to them? Do they know that you're open to it? They know that uh, I was open. Chipper knew that I was open before they gave the... Uh, the contract to to the person that they've got. 
There are a lot of it. I've been in touch with uh, Kaiser Mutang at uh, Kaiser Chiefs, but I couldn't get that one because Bobby was the one that was picking the coaches. So there's a lot of a lot of uh, teams that I've been in touch with. And if 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 we were a betting man, and I'm not, I don't bet. I think Courtney has the odd bet. If we were a betting man, do you think we'll see Bruce Krobler back coaching in South Africa? Depends if these owners have got balls. <laughs> I'm sure they have big soccer balls. Um, I'm sure yeah, that's what you're referring I'm to. I'm talking about <laughs> big cojones to get Bruce Krobler back for their team. <laughs> do they want it? I, I I speak to a lot of the coaches at the time now, and Gavin Hunter's a very very big friend of mine. He's having troubles there with with bit bit bits because they're moving their team up to Toyandu again, and he's not wanting to go to Toyandu, is he? Would you go to Toyandu? Are you are you kidding me? Ah, but it's close to the border, so I'm okay then. <laughs> <laughs> Bruce, honestly, it's been a pleasure and a privilege to talk with you. I literally have two more fan questions I'd like to ask you um, before we wrap up. Um, and the one question um, comes from one of our, our one of the Liverpool fans in Lagos, Nigeria. The question is from Emeka, and he says, "Who do you think should have been Liverpool's best player of the season, Hendo or Mane, and why?" Oh. You see, for me, I would uh, I would look at it very, very diplomatically. The person that has been running the show in the midfield for the whole of the season has been Henderson, and he's been absolutely magnificent. And if you have a look on the other side, you have a look at Mane. Now, Mane has been scoring so many goals, and he did, but in games that you needed him to step up, sometimes he didn't. And Hendo was the one that was running around doing all the donkey work. So it's a hard one. If you have a look at Salah, Salah's been in and out of the this season, whereas last season you just put him on the pedestal as number one with Virgil van Dijk. Liverpool have got a, a great side there. And if you wanted to pick out the person that I would put on a mantle for this season will be the captain Henderson. The transformation that he has made as a player and a captain has been remarkable for this year. And it's great to see that he's picked up the trophy for, you know, the first time in 30 years. Got you. And we actually have done a podcast where we debated on who would be the best player in Liverpool. Um, Courtney and myself landed on the side of Mane. Um, and Ahmed actually thought that uh, Kevin De Bruyne if I'm correct, was the best player in the Premier League this this season? I said, but for Liverpool this season, I, I thought Trent was was you know the player who stood out for me most. Um, and I've got one last fan question, and this is from William Clayton. He is the treasurer of the Durban Liverpool Supporters Club, and he goes, Bruce, can you give us some commitment that the next time you're in Durban, on one of your whirlwind visits that you will come and join the committee and club members for a proper meal and drinks and a chance for some pictures. It would be a pleasure to host you. Well, thank you very much indeed for the invite. I will take that uh, invite into the box, but uh, 
I have been going to uh, South Africa for the last 14, 15 years. Every year I come over there to play golf with my uh, golf buddies called E Rebel Nations Golf Tour. And this year was supposed to be our 14th year, except COVID got there first. So next year will be our 14th year. I will be there next year. I will definitely call him and get us there to have a nice meal with the Durban Supporters Club. Thank you very much indeed for your invite, and we shall see you there next year. Bruce, if you're paying for tickets, Courtney and I are with you. No, I'll pay, I'll pay for my own. I'll just go. I'll just, because I play golf, I love it as well. Well, Courtney, I'll let you know when our tour is on. You'll look at it on Facebook because it's always on Facebook. And it's called the E-Rebel Nations Golf Tour. It'll be E-Rebel Nations 2021. And it'll be the 14th year of our competition. That's awesome. Thank you. I don't play golf. I might come caddy for you, Courtney. That's absolutely fantastic. What a way to end our show, uh, Bruce. It's been an honor to be speaking to you, sir. Absolutely. And for those listening out there, as you can see, we love your questions. Please hit us up on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Tell us what you think of this interview. Um, and also, you know, feel free to, uh, to leave a rating and leave a review because it helps people find the show. Bruce. You're probably going to be enjoying some Norwegian salmon. But the next time you're in London, please look us up. Courtney, myself, Ahmed, would love to take you out for a meal on us. We normally go to Nando's because it's good South African food. And if you'd like to join us, you're more than welcome. Courtney, I'm going to, Zane, just hold on. I'm going to say cheerio. Courtney, all the very best. Listen, I'd love to come down there to London and have your Durban curry. Oh, I can make you that easily. Yeah. No, no. Best curry in the world. Just excuse me, Zen. I'm talking to other people at the moment. <laughs> Ahmed, nice to meet you and your expertise of the of the Northern African uh, continent, especially, especially the King. Yeah, Ahmed Salah and Zayn. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me onto your show, and to all the listeners, don't worry about it. The jungle man is here and he'll never go away. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Bruce. Yeah, thank, thank you very much, Bruce. Thank you. Very much.